Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader on the uh, turning point here. If all goes according to plan, in about half an hour, we will uh, talk to some people from the Brennan Center for Justice who have compiled uh, a bunch of crime statistics, uh, gone through national crime statistics, mostly in cities, for the year 2015, and discovered that there is um, slightly less crime now than there used to be, although it appears, I mean, I'm sure you're the same as I am, it appears if you read the newspapers or if you look at uh, the endless information that flows into your brain and your eyes and your ears from every place, 
that there is more violence and more crime all the time. But uh, for, except for a couple of big cities, there is apparently less crime now and less violent crime than there used to be. And it seems uh, like um, counterintuitive, but uh, that's what we have. So that's the plan anyhow. And, you know, plans are for God to get some amusement from us all. But we'll see. Meanwhile, uh, I'm going to talk for a little bit here. If you're allergic to or you get pissed off by narcissism, complaining, jealousy, hypocrisy, uh, somebody throwing a tantrum, just tune away for about 25 minutes or something like that so you won't hear all this stuff that I'm going to say here. Um, There was an article in the... uh, paper the other day, and the only paper I do read, actually, uh, New York Times, my local paper. Uh, and it says, uh, the uh, it was on the front page, and it says, was your dog, this the uh, headline, was your dog taken for a walk? Your phone will let you know. Your phone will let you know. It used to be Jesus will let you know. God will let you know. Now it's your phone will let you know. Some parents find peace of mind in the location in the location tracking features in smartphones that let them keep tabs on their children. It's not a bad thing, right? Big dangerous place, New York City. Although it's apparently not as dangerous as it used to be. There are also the dog owners who can rest easy knowing that hired dog walkers are doing their job and that the dogs are doing their business. And then there is the comfort of tracking your pizza delivery. Uh, so I'll just read a bit of the beginning of the article and skip ahead. And then, um, so when Laura Mastrangeli orders one from Pizza Hut every other week, she does not just wait for it, she stalks it. The moment her order leaves the nearest Pizza Hut, about 30 minutes away from her home in Plano, Texas. It's a long way off, huh? But Texas, right? Uh, big state. The restaurant sends Ms. Mastrangeli an alert on her smartphone with a link to a man showing an image of a pizza delivery car driving toward her house. Since she knows her driver's location, she knows precisely when to scoop her two small dogs up and sequester them in a back room to keep them from yapping at the driver. My husband and I absolutely love it, said Miss Mastrangeli, who works in sales for whatever. We're walking out the door when he pulls up. People were amazed, etc., etc. And uh, there is a new service from Comcast and Time Warner, Cable, uh, which is now the same thing. Uh, Comcast is apparently the FCC or whoever is in charge is going to let Comcast eat Time Warner. So good luck to all of us. Time Warner is already bad enough, but Comcast apparently is worse. Um, The new service from Comcast and Time Warner will allow customers to see the exact location of the cable repairman on the way to the house. The question is, uh, of course, uh, whether uh, whether a map... Uh, that offers a bit more information can do uh, little to improve the underlying problems. Cable companies, for instance, suffer from some of the lowest customer satisfaction levels of any business, and why not? (laughs) Did you ever try calling a cable company about your um, TV or your Internet or your phone? Uh, You might wind up in uh, Malaysia someplace where somebody doesn't understand a damn thing you're saying. And then they never show up on time. Then they have the wrong uh, cable. Then they uh, have to go out and get it from the machine or somebody else shows up. Knowing exactly where your cable guy uh, is does little to address complaints about escalating prices. Hmm. I'm sure that's not the root of the problem, said Francis X. Fry, a professor of service management at Harvard Business School. Uh, So um, 
does tracking your pizza on a map make you feel better? It's a pure psychological effect, said Nicholas Goubert, head of project management at HERE, H-E-R-E. Everything is a company about analyzing companies that analyze companies that analyze other companies. A digital maps company that provides location data to Amazon and other businesses. Your pizza's not going to come any sooner, but it's moving. Well, you know, uh, I, I'm waiting uh, for the bus this morning, and um, you can sit and you, you can stand there or sit there if you get a you know, bench, and you can wait for the bus. And sometimes the bus is in New York, and sometimes, very often, the buses in New York, like the trains, are completely screwed these days. I mean, they have uh, to save money. Uh, the city, despite the fact that the um, the fare goes up all the time to the point where I don't understand how anybody who isn't at least lower middle to middle class can possibly afford to take the bus or the train. I just don't see. I mean, it's two seventy five, two dollars and seventy five cents for one ride, and I I don't just don't see anybody who's poor can possibly, or even let's say lower middle class, can possibly afford to ride the subways and the buses. Um, you know, everything just goes up all the time, and the service gets worse. It's the story of a modern American life. So um, <clears throat> the bus, uh, they cut back, this is about a year or two ago, they cut back the number to save money, they cut back the number of buses, and they cut back the number of trains, and not just the number of trains, but the length of a train. So there's fewer cars on a train now. I mean, there's just as many or more people taking the trains and the buses as there ever were. So there are always, doesn't matter what time of the day, maybe a little bit here and there, but they're always completely and insanely jammed. There's huge crowds on the platforms. Uh, the buses are a total mess. The trains are, are a total mess. Um, and um, But now there's an app. <clears throat> there's an app. How many apps are there in the world? <clears throat> Sorry. Four million apps? Are there four million apps in the world? I don't know. But now there's an app. If you're standing and waiting for the bus, you can hit the Transit Authority app, and you can find out exactly where the bus is and what the estimated time of waiting is. And this is, uh, is this a good thing? Is this a good thing, or is this a bad thing? Or maybe I shouldn't divide it so extremely. Uh, ordinarily, uh, in the way life was always until these apps or something like this particular app, let's say, you would just be waiting for the bus. Now, at every bus stop in New York City, um, I'm talking about Manhattan now because I've lived in Manhattan for 35 years, but uh, if, if it's probably for every bus stop in the city. There is a schedule that's posted um, that tells you to the minute, theoretically, when the bus is supposed to be there. Of course, it's just about meaningless, because of traffic, because the roads are all torn up, because uh, they change things at the, uh, you know, at the, at the bus central to send one ahead further, or they'll just send one right past your stop because the one in front of it was, uh, was so late that they had to send another bus to pick up the people who were waiting too long. So the bus schedules aren't really very reliable. But instead of sitting there and fidgeting and being pissed off, about where's the bus, are you going to be late for work or late for an appointment or whatever, you don't have to do You don't have to worry about that anymore. All you have to do is look at your little machine, um, your phone, your smartphone, your genius phone in front of you, and press an app. <laughs> I hate that word. I, I warn you, I warn you, 
You can tune away any time now until about, like, I don't know, 20 minutes from now when we should be interviewing these people about crime statistics. I don't like the word app. It's like zap or crap. I'm sick of the word app. There's a new app every second for everything. And I sign on. Now, of course, this is pure hypocrisy because I, I couldn't, you wouldn't even be listening to me now if it wasn't for modern technology. You can probably listen to this on your phone. You can, right? People can listen to this on their phone. Um, right, right? People can listen to this on their smartphone, a podcast. Yeah, of course. And uh, a lot of people do listen to shows on prn.fm on their, uh, on their phones. So all of this is like, you know, totally, uh, <laughs> I don't know what, self, it's con- completely contradictory. You wouldn't be able to hear a word I'm saying about how I can't stand the way in which modern technology uh, controls all of our lives um, unless, it was, uh, unless it was for modern technology. So, I mean, even radio once upon a time. People complained about, uh, people used to complain about every new invention, usually old farts like me. It was always old people who tend to be more rigid and uh, can't, their minds are not agile. They can't keep up with new things. They're not as curious as they used to be. I, I'm not I'm saying all old people. I mean, most of the people I know who are my age, which is 70 or even older, are right up in tune with modern times. Uh, two of my closest friends um, uh, know everything about this stuff. They can do anything on their computer. They can sail around in the cloud. They have a smartphone with a million apps on it. They can fix computers. They can um, transfer things. They can use their smartphones to do five million things. They love it. They love it. So uh, in this case, it's me, really, that I'm talking about. I am a classic example of somebody who is afraid of anything new, uh, who is as rigid beyond belief. And also, I'm a technophobe, and there are reasons for that. But... Um, so, and the irony and the contradiction is, of course, and the hypocrisy involved is, you know, I feel free to get on here on this uh, incredibly technolo- complex technological setup. Either you're listening to this when it's being broadcast, well, now it's being recorded. <laughs> so, even recording something is, uh, is an amazing, uh, you know, achievement. All of this stuff, it's all like miracles, right? From the beginning of the invention of radio or cars or or uh, telephones, or, uh, you know, uh, televisions, planes, everything, all incredible, miraculous inventions. Um, So, yes, you couldn't listen to the podcast, you couldn't listen to the actual broadcast, you couldn't listen to this recording, it's being recorded at a different time that it's being broadcast. Uh, You couldn't listen to any of this, you couldn't listen to prn.fm, which has all this valuable information and entertaining uh, programs, if it wasn't for modern technology. But there's too much already. It's too much. There is, a, there is an app for whether or not to remember whether or not you actually clipped your fingernails, and an alarm will go off to tell you. The fingernail app will tell you whether or not your fingernails are too long or when the last time you clipped them was or what part needed a little bit extra clipping. And a part of this dog walking article here is, um, like, for instance, it used to be, and still is, of course, if you don't have an app, <laughs> and I don't think there's an app for this yet, each each store, like every store and every business, every small business even has an app now. But it used to be, uh, it's classic, you call up a Chinese restaurant, and we order out from, we order food sometimes from the Chinese restaurant. Um, one of the two or three or four or five or 500 Chinese restaurants around where we live. And um, uh, 10 minutes goes by, you know, 20 minutes goes by. You know to call early because it's busy and, there, you know, there's 100 million people in Manhattan and they're all calling up for the Chinese food. You call up and you order and you know 
that you have to give it some time. So you call up early before you want to eat. 20 minutes, half an hour, 35 minutes, 40 minutes might go by. You call up, and this is completely classic, right? You get somebody on the phone, uh, and you say, um, <clears throat> we ordered, uh, you know, uh, several years ago. We ordered, uh, you know, or put in order several years ago. And uh, uh, where is it? It's on the way. <laughs> They're bringing it now. Right. Now, you don't know if that means that they forgot about it entirely or they're backed up or uh, as soon as you get off the phone, she says, okay, uh, to somebody in the kitchen, uh, make up this order and send it to these people. They're bothering me. The pain's in the ass, right? Or you don't know if it's actually on its way. Often it is on its way. Um, But uh, so far, inevitably, there's going to be an app that shows you where uh, the poor Chinese delivery man who is peddling through ice and snow and freezing weather or, you know, who is peddling to your house uh, on his, uh, on his uh, bike in dangerous uh, traffic uh, when it's 90 degrees out to deliver you your food, right? Everybody's just too spoiled, I guess. But now there's a new dog walking app. Uh, it's a company called WAG, W-A-G. And um, let's see. Um, WAG. Some companies are going to bizarre lengths, bizarre, to provide greater transparency to customers through maps. Last year, WAG, a startup in Los Angeles, introduced the mobile app, uh, you know, uh, that includes a live map that shows the pet owner uh, the route of the dog walker and the pooch. Uh, actually, this is a, the company is called WAG that does provide dog walking services. There are dog walking services. If you are, um, if you have enough money to do that, right? You go to work and your dog, poor little uh, spot, is cooped up all day long in your apartment, and uh, you know, you know, that's not really right. So somebody comes and walks the dog, and you pay them, you know, I don't know, fifteen dollars an hour for it or something. Anyhow, this you can check anytime uh, that shows you uh, approximately when the dog walker said they were going to show up. Um, the root of the walker and the wag walker and the pooch. So let's say you're at work and you want to know whether or not your dog is being walked. You don't want to know if you're being. You want to know if you're being. You're not being cheated, right? If the dog walker is coming late, <laughs> if they're not paying attention, if they're standing around talking, but then actually they're not actually walking your dog. Uh, next month, wag will go even further. Listen to this by allowing uh, walkers to commemorate where pets relieve themselves by tapping the screens on their smartphones. It's all real time, Mr. Viner said. I guess he's in the company owner or something. Uh, it's all real time. It's all in real time. It's almost like you're part of the experience. So you can actually now with this app from this dog walking company, you can see in live time or know at least in live time with a map exactly where your dog is pissing and shitting while you're at work or you're off somewhere else. Um, Everything in life can be taken to absurd extremes. And uh, I think this technology thing now is, there's this, uh, I can't even describe it except in sort of semi-poetic terms. It's almost like a wave that is coming back on itself. There's so much technology that technology is, uh, what did Marshall McLuhan once say? Uh, the medium is the message, <laughs> which I, I suppose I uh, imperfectly understand. But now, technology is that it is. Like, uh, you know, uh, the response of um, 
of God? Was it to Moses? People ask God, he asked, Moses, he asked God, what, who are you, what are you? And he says, I am that I am. And that's all the explanation you'll ever get. And the only explanation you could ever understand. Technology is that it is. Technology is like God now. It's a separate thing. It's a separate thing that includes all of us. We are merely fish swimming in an ocean of technology. And, um, I mean, here I am sitting in a radio studio, and um, there are people hard at work outside this studio engineering this show, uh, making sure that it sounds exactly right, engineering other shows, doing things, uh, maybe checking other apps uh, that have to do with uh, the performance of the radio station. And um, then there's somebody else who's editing, which is very precise and difficult with an editing program, editing uh, other programs to make them sound tighter or if there was uh, something went wrong uh, temporarily with the show and then they could join this together. It's like used to be what we had is um, audio tapes, actually big reels of tape uh, in in the good old days. I don't know. Anyhow, in the old days. We had audio tapes if we were recording a show, like uh, many are recorded here at PRN and broadcast at different times. And uh, we would go into a studio and we record an interview or record something else or music or whatever we were recording. And if there was a glitch or there was a pause or something sounded too loud or was wrong, what you would do is put on a pair of headphones, plug them into this big uh, editing machine. Uh, these things no longer exist. They're probably in a museum or they're worth millions as antiques. Um, although people don't buy old technology so much, do they? I guess, I don't know. Old, the oldest Macintoshes are probably worth a lot of money. Uh, one day they'll all be uh, collectible antiques. So with this editing machine, uh, the tape was, you know, I guess, what is it, acetate? It was a brown-colored uh, quarter-inch tape, something like that, real, on these old reels. And you would, um, you would listen to it uh, very carefully in your headphones by sort of manipulating the two reels. And you would hear where there was a word you wanted to cut out that was said wrong or there was a pause that was too long or some glitch or something, somebody dropped something. And uh, what you would do is take a razor blade. This sounds so ancient, right? It's so ancient compared to now where everything is like you press buttons and, uh, and everything is changed. But you would take a razor blade and you would put that piece of tape that had the wrong word or the pause that was too long or something on top of a little uh, metal block, and you would cut it out with the razor blade and then join it together exactly with uh, a piece of joining tape, or usually a white piece of tape that joined it together, or I don't know, maybe it was translucent tape. (laughs) That's what people had to do, which I did, to edit shows. Now you just press buttons. Um, I think it's all gone too far. People... Uh, when I walk on the street, I am sick of seeing everybody walking on the street with their head down, staring at these machines. People get on the elevator, and they're staring at these machines. Uh, people are walking on the street. People on the bus are staring at these machines. Now, having said that, or they're plugged in. They've got some music playing or some radio station playing or something is plugged into their ear or something has been recorded, and, and they're listening to it. Or they put together, an, uh, you know, a... Uh, a, coll- a collation of music, you know, they put together a playlist of music. And, but everybody is plugged into these things. Now, if you live in Manhattan, it's, and, and a lot of parts of Manhattan are really ugly, it's ugly in Manhattan. Manhattan itself can be very ugly. It's noisy. They're tearing up the whole city, knocking everything down so that it sounds terrible all the time. And it's ugly. There's homeless people everywhere. There are, um, People, um, 
there, there are people, you know, rushing around, banging into you. There are tourists taking pictures in your faces. The whole city uh, is being, uh, like I say, buildings are being knocked down. Giant buildings are being put up. The streets are totally wrecked. It's like a giant, giant mess, the city. And it's just an ugly, it can be a very ugly place um, for your five senses. So why not tune out? Why not tune out? Used to be, though, I, I got used to the idea when I was growing up my whole life, and this is a complaint of older people, some older people, that people on the street were walking along, and you would look at them, and they would look at you, or they'd ignore you, or you would ignore them. And if somebody was talking to themselves, it meant out loud, it meant they were crazy. Or let's put it this way, being crazy myself, I shouldn't even judge anybody else's. And it's not a pejorative, but it meant that they were uh, not in touch with reality and they were talking to an unseen voice. It was an audio hallucination. They were talking uh, out loud. And you tended to maybe avoid these people, stay a few steps away from them when you were walking. But now there are thousands and thousands of people walking around Manhattan talking out loud, very loud, which is another thing, very loud because they're talking with their hands-free um, cell phone or they're talking on their cell phone. Or people answer the phone on the bus. The phone rings with these incredibly annoying, uh, what do they call, ringtones, I guess? I don't know. And it'll be music or the same standard one that comes with the phone. And people answer the phone on the bus. And there is so little... I guess what I'm saying is there is so little peace and quiet. There is so little peace and quiet uh, in the big city, especially in most parts of Manhattan uh, during the weekdays especially, um, that sometimes it used to be when you got on the bus, it was um, like an oasis. You would get on the bus and you would ride down, you know, down to where you're going, and it was quiet. People sort of knew, here's a chance to be quiet, unless, of course, you had a friend with you and you were discussing something. But even then, there was a certain observance of the fact that other people were there. There's something so narcissistic and self-involved, <laughs> though I say it who shouldn't, um, about people and their, and their phones. They're, they walk down, you know, the people are walking along the street with their phones, with their heads bowed down and are looking at their phones, and they'll walk right into you, or they won't. And they, if they look up and you're walking towards them, you know, they should be walking the other way a little bit to get out of your way. Or, or they're wandering around, and they're sort of pissed off, like irritated, like, where did you come from? <laughs> oh, another human being when I'm looking at my app, right? App zap crap. I'm tired of people looking at these phones. And, and then people answer the phones on a bus. Everybody's sitting on the bus. They're getting a little peace and quiet. Younger people, older people, right? Uh, not kids, of course, but that's okay. And everybody's sitting on the bus because they know they're headed out from Midtown or to work and, you know, to craziness and, you know, overwhelming stuff and noise and the ugliness of the city and the, uh, the crushing weight of office work or whatever. And on the bus is this little... This little movement of time, this oasis when you're in the bus and you can look, at, uh, look outside and just calm down. And you can reflect a little bit, gather yourself into yourself, find the center of yourself, something like that. No, no more. People pick up the phone. People are on the phones. Hello? <laughs> Used to be on the subways and on the buses, people played transistor radios. And finally, uh, you know, after like a decade of this... They issued a rule that says, you know, you can't play there. You can't play this loud radio on the, on the uh, and people smoked on the bus, too, and on a train. But that people used to say, you can't, um, you can't uh, use this, uh, you know, you can't use your transistor radio on the bus anymore. 
unless you use, you know, headphones. So thank God for that. That was good because people got, you know, people would just play their music on, on the bus or the train. It was incredibly annoying. But now it's the cell phones. You know, it's men. Hello. Yeah, I had a five o'clock meeting with uh, Bob. Tell him I'll be a little late. I got to hear that shit. Who cares, right? Used to be people were late for things, and then they had to explain themselves. Oh, it was the traffic. Uh, and then there are people, like I was sitting on a bus today, and some woman is talking. She's talking on her phone. She says, hello? She picks up the phone. Oh, hi. I was going to call you. I had a lovely time at the party the other night. And you know what Ginger said? <laughs> Who gives a shit? Do I have to hear that? Do I have to hear that? Really? Can't she wait to do that? If it's an emergency, if it's really an emergency, if you're a lawyer and there's this case of life or death or a doctor or whatever, okay, I understand. Otherwise, shut up with your phone. Put it away. Stop staring at it. There's this, and it's a feeling you get, and people on elevators, I walk in elevators, right, and people talking on the elevator. Elevator used to be, you know, there was a certain protocol. It's a small little space, certain claustrophobic, and you respect other people's privacy, and that includes uh, a sense uh, around them of um, uh, of inherent uh, dignity and respect. And you 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 need silence in an elevator. It's a small little place. It's not a place for people to say, "Hey, how you doing?" on the phone. But people do that now. They just get on the phone and they just talk out loud, or they get on the and, and sometimes on the elevator you you feel nervous because everybody used to stand on the elevator, right? You're right. You're elevator experience and you know, you don't look at other people or maybe you want to look at them, but you wonder about them. There's a contact with people that existed. There was a contact with people that existed before these apps and zaps and baps and cell phones and machines and crap that plugs into you and that you're staring at every second. People are fleeing into this stuff like people used to flee into alcohol. How much information is enough information? What could possi- What would people possibly be looking at? that they're walking with their heads down or talking out loud to somebody else. What is the point? What is the point? What of that could wait till some other time? What about, and I say, you know, I could understand, the city could be an ugly place to look at, to listen to, could be overwhelming so many other people. I can understand kind of wanting to focus in on your narrow little world. So it's bad and good, like everything else. You pay a price, right? It's miraculous, it's wonderful. You can see people's pictures, you can see people live when you're talking to them. There's all kinds of wonderful, even life-saving, and certainly communicative things, connecting with other people that you could do with this. But it's gone too far. People are addicted to it. It runs people. Your television, you don't watch television. The television watches you now. You don't choose an app. The app chooses you. It's not a smartphone. It's your brain now. And you work inside. Your, you work inside the smartphone as a part of the brain. You think you're choosing something, but you're not. Anyhow, and much more to say about this, but uh, maybe there'll be a part two. And it all comes from my own uh, rigidity, and I'm a technophobe for various psychological reasons. And so, like I said, I have plenty of friends who are my age who have no problem with this whatsoever. Anyhow, we're going to now, now at least, anyhow, if you have a dog, you can find out if your dog walker exactly where the dog is uh, pissing, <laughs> if that's important to you. <sighs> Anyhow, let's go to some music, and then we'll 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 get on with uh, with the real world with our uh, guest today.
This is Mike Fader, and this is The Turning Point. The Brennan Center for Justice um, at NYU, um, and if you've listened to me over the years, you know that I uh, have talked to many people from the Brennan Center for Justice, a wonderful uh, organization, uh, have just issued recently a report called Crime in 2015, a Final Analysis by Ames Grauert and James Cullen. And uh, it shows many things that might be a little surprising to people. Uh, but one thing it shows, according to uh, the authors here from their analysis, is that there is less violent crime, that it's safer now generally in the United States than it used to be. And Mr. Groward is with us. Hiya. Hi. It's uh, my pleasure to speak with you today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, let me uh, give people an idea of uh, your background a bit, and then we can go on to the report. Is that all right? Sure, happy to. Okay. Ames Grauert is, um, am I saying your name right, by the way? You are, actually. I get so many people who get it so wrong, and you have gotten it right. Well, I actually, I'm being a little disingenuous. I did ask in advance. <laughs> so, but uh, anyhow, uh, uh, Ms. Grauert is uh, counsel in the Brennan Center's Justice uh, Program, and the John L., now this one I won't pronounce right, Nui, Nui, Nui? That's about, that's about right, yeah. Okay, John L. Nui, uh, Justice Counsel. His work seeks to develop an understanding of the cost of America's criminal justice system to defendants, inmates, and the nation as a whole, and to translate that information to uh, legal change. Previously, um, he served as an assistant district attorney in the Appeals Bureau of the Nassau County District Attorney's Office, where he reviewed and litigated claims of actual innocence in addition to his appellate work. Um, my son works for the state of Maryland, as a public defender oh. in the appeals division. <laughs> so I guess uh, those are the kinds of people you might have been up against in court, right, when you were... Yeah, it's tough work, and actually I, um, one of the issues that I care a lot about and I'd like to see our work advance in the future is having quality defense counsel, especially at the appellate level. So what your son is doing is great. Yeah, I, 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 I'm very happy that he's doing that. I mean, he's gotten some people off, you know, on technicalities, which I understand irritates a lot of judges and prosecutors. <laughs> but uh, he uh, has also discovered that, you know, something was wrong with the jury instructions, other things. Anyhow. Technicalities uh, hide real rights. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, before entering public service, uh, Mr. Grower was an associate at Meyer Brown uh, where he represented criminal defendants pro bono in state and federal post-conviction litigation. Uh, the um, report, once again, is called Crime in 2015, a Final Analysis, and uh, you, this is uh, co-authored with James Cullen, right? Yes, that's right. He's a colleague of mine who uh, did most of the data work here. Okay. Uh, the final numbers show that crime rates remain at historic lows nationally, despite recent upticks in a handful of cities. And uh, let me just read one more thing. The authors look at changes in crime and murder, crime and murder, seems like a distinction there, from 2014 to 2015 using uh, data through December 31st, 2015, and examined economic factors in Chicago, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C., that explain why murder rates are up in those cities. 
the three areas accounted for more than half of the national increase in murders last year, which is quite extraordinary. But uh, We were surprised as well. Yeah, it's just amazing. And then Los Angeles stands out, too, but we'll get to that. Um, sure. The average person, but it says here, the average person in a large urban area is safer walking on the street today than he or she would have been at almost any time in the past 30 years. So when you talk about uh, crime here, are you talking about violent crime and not other crimes like burglary or anything else? Uh, so we make a distinction between uh, all crime, which is all of the FBI's index one crimes, um, minus rape, which is uh, difficult to account for for reasons related to the data that I can expand on if you're curious. Mm -hmm. uh, but that means uh, burglary, motor vehicle theft, and larceny, and property crimes, and violent crime we define as aggravated assault, murder, and robbery. Mm -hmm. So the, the report is, uh, because the, the, the summation of the report, I didn't read it, but the summation of the report seems to be focusing on, um, on violence and on murder. Right. right. When people talk about an increase in crime, the, the main concern is, like, the, the, the issue that really drives fear and concern in communities, we think, is violent crime and especially murder. And um, let's see, uh, crime, uh, some updated findings here. Crime overall in the 30 largest cities in 2015 remained the same as 2014, decreasing by 0.1%. Two-thirds... <laughs> Two th well, two-thirds of the cities saw drops in crime, uh, which were offset mostly by an increase in Los Angeles, 12.7%. Uh, nationally, though, the crime remains at an all-time low, again, violent crime. Um, but then you say violent crime rose slightly th by 3.1%. That's a little confusing. And you say overall, but the other one says 0.1. What am I getting wrong here? Sure. No, that's, that's right. So overall is property crime plus violent crime. Oh, okay. Violent crime is a subset. So if you were to look at, say, property crime, which is the vast majority of crime, you'd see that went down overall. But violent crime, uh, which is the headline grabber, rose very, very slightly, but still remains near uh, the bottom of a 20-year downtrend. 20 years. Um and say the, this result, the 3.1%, uh, a slight rise, uh, but 3.1% of all crime, that's a lot of crimes, right? If you actually look at the baseline numbers, one thing that we've found is with crime as low as it is, if, you, if you've had, for example, 10 murders in a year uh, in 2015 and you have 11 in 2016, then that's a 10% increase in murder. That's going to look a lot scarier if you render it in percentages than if you render it in real numbers. And that's not to, that's not to set it not the value of the lost life, but uh, mm -hmm. well, so does that mean that crime is going up? Not necessarily. So the 3.1%, this result was primarily caused by increasing violence in Los Angeles, 25.2% uh, of the total uh, or higher than it was before, 25.2%. Uh, what, what does that percentage represent? It's, a, it's an increase in violent crime over the previous year in Los Angeles. 25.2%? Yes. And then, yeah, the, uh, well, let me just finish The rate up. you'll see change. Yeah. Sorry. Now, I'll just finish up this paragraph because it's uh, astounding, these percentages. Baltimore, 19.2%. Uh, Charlotte, 15.9%. And then earlier you mentioned that Chicago and Washington had uh, very large increases in um, murders. Notably, aggravated assaults in Los Angeles account for more than half the national rise in violent crime. The 2015 murder rate rose by 13.3% in the 30 largest cities with 19 cities seeing increases in six decreases. 
However, in absolute terms, murder rates are so low that a small numerical increase can lead to a large percentage change. I think it's the um, impression for most people, and this could be just because of the amount of um, information, graphic information that's coming at people in, uh, from every media uh, medium, um, that, there, that everything is dangerous all the time, right? I mean, sure. there, there's a difference between perception and actuality here? There is, definitely. Uh, I think if you... If, if you watch the evening news, what will lead the news and what will get the most viewers is this crime happened here and this crime happened here and not, uh, but by the way, it actually is safer to walk on the streets at night in New York City than it has ever been in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, people go for the attention-grabbing headline, and maybe that creates a perception that crime is awful. And in fact, especially in cities like New York, which we show it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in New York City, I mean, I, I've lived in New York uh all my life, and uh, mm. lived in Manhattan for the last thirty odd years, and um, sure, it's definitely. I mean, the neighborhood I live in, which is the Upper West Side in Manhattan, is far more safe than it used to be. But I and and then there's something else in your report which constantly pro uh, pops up here all the time. And the first thing I was going to say was that's because it's been gentrified. In other words, there's mm. a lot of people who. Um, there was a lot more crime. There was uh, drug dealing, some of it leading to violence. You could hear a gunshot now and then 20 years ago, but not in this neighborhood anymore because everybody there is paying you know, $290,000 for a studio apartment, and it's a whole different kind of people. And you're suggesting somewhere in these reports and uh, occasionally that the economic factors account uh, are one of the things that account for a rise in crime, Correct. Yes, and that, that's something we need to study in, in real depth to make a real solid conclusion. But if you just take a cursory look at uh, cities where murder is up, you'll see some unifying traits, including higher-than-average poverty rate. And as a New Yorker like myself, you might think you know, the Upper West Side is a very different area than East New York is. And if you, if you pay attention to New York crime stats, you'll see a lot more murders happening in East New York. And the other thing that comes to mind when you think of East New York is uh, deep poverty. Mm -hmm. So there's really nothing... Uh, you know, I don't mean this in any particular way, but there's nothing new about a discovery that uh, poverty leads to crime, right? I mean, for instance, if you think of the Lower East Side in the year 1900, when it was right. one of the most crowded, uh, poorest places in the entire world, uh, then there was an, uh, an astounding amount of crime. Right, and you'll get some pushback from, on that among uh, the academic community, but uh, we do think when you look at just a, a real absence of opportunity in even certain pockets of some cities, like some parts of Washington, D.C., then it really shouldn't be surprising that you see crime up in those areas and down in parts like where you live and like where I live. I live in Bay Ridge, where, uh, where you know, it's, it's a good middle-class neighborhood and it's easy to find a job and a, a nice place to live. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, the, uh, now where did you compile those statistics, uh, statistics from? Is from the FBI database? So this is actually this is an interesting point. Uh, the, the FBI doesn't release final numbers for the year until later this year, sometime in November or so. Uh, but by that point, we probably won't be talking about crime in 2015 anymore. We'll be talking about crime in 2016. So what we did here is we took um, city reports, either publicly available or uh, through information requests, uh, using their CompStat programs, like the, the numbers that police use to figure out where to deploy officers and how. Mm -hmm. um, many cities released those publicly, or we got them through non-public means. And then we, we took those numbers and tried to make them look like the FBI statistics will in the next six months. Mm -hmm. it, um, 
Well, uh, so uh, you're pretty sure that, uh, I mean, you're convinced uh, that uh, the uh, statistics are accurate and they show exactly what they're showing, right? There's no uh, glitches, there's no uh, bad analysis involved here. This is what you're basing it on. Yes, absolutely. There, there's there's one danger in talking about crime numbers, though, in that um, cities report numbers through their CompStat program, and then they, they clean them up a little before they send them, send them to the FBI in the fall. And I don't mean to say clean up as in fudge, but they they remove problems in the data um, that maybe crept in some way or another through data entry. Uh, so th- if you were to look in November, you might see some variance between our numbers and the final numbers, but you won't see anything that goes against our conclusions that crime remains low. Uh, at one point you say here, however, there is not yet sufficient evidence to conclude that these levels will persist in the future or are part of a national trend, that is, uh, there, that uh, murder is up in some cities. Uh, um, is that specifically to these uh, cities that you're saying will persist in the future or part of a national trend? I mean, there is, uh, obviously, everybody understands there's increasing, rapidly increasing, metastasizing income inequality in the country, right? Yeah. And it has been yeah. for a while. And um, a lot of uh, people, are, where they're going, I have no idea, but in uh, there are neighborhoods where, um, you know, near where I used to live that were some of the poorest in the city and then inevitably the most dangerous. And uh, now they're all uh, very, um, you know, peaceable. And But mm-hmm. those people don't live there anymore. Who lives there are people who are making 80000 90000 $150,000 in the tech industry or as lawyers or, you know, starting out as doctors. Um, and these are not people who were given to street crime. So, uh, but if there is increasing income inequality, wouldn't you expect to project a larger amount of, uh, especially since part of the report talks about poverty in, in these cities, mm. a larger amount? Wouldn't you expect to see more of this in particular cities or maybe across the country? Well, another thing to consider is, while if income inequality is growing and there are real poverty problems, police are getting better. Uh, like police now, and this is a this is a finding in another report released last year um, called "What Caused the Crime Decline." Police are getting very, very smart about using data well. Uh, so when police use these CompStat numbers to figure out where real hotspots are and to put officers on the corner, uh, that might ameliorate any increase in crime you see from poverty. However. Uh, one of the cities we talk about is Washington, D.C., and an interesting thing about D.C. is D.C. has a higher income rate than much of the rest of the country. Hmm. I think you and I will know why. It's because a lot of very wealthy politicians and lobbyists and lawyers like myself live in D.C., mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, there are, there are pockets of real deep poverty that that half of the city never sees, and that, but it still shows up in the crime numbers, for example. Mm-hmm. So uh, <clears throat> some of the factors are, uh, we ta- obviously we talked about higher poverty rates, uh, and we we're talking about these three cities, Baltimore, Chicago, and Washington, and we all read about this no matter where we live, about uh, the, uh, the crime um, and especially uh, murder rates in these cities. Uh, other factors are falling populations, higher mm-hmm. unemployment than the national average. Um, now, falling populations, can you amplify on that a little bit? Uh, Sure. It just means it's, it's in unhealth, a healthy city will have people coming in. Uh, we'll have the makeup of the city constantly changing, like in areas in New York, for example. But a, a city that's unhealthy and where the economy is faltering or even falling off even further, uh, people will leave and have been leaving for years. So you'll see over the over the trend of the last 60 years, falling populations in D.C., Baltimore, and Chicago. Mm-hmm. And... Um 
So this uh, this report, and once again, uh, the report. Uh, if you want to check it out online, uh, you go to you can go to the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU, or uh, maybe you can give me a more accurate way to uh, to find it. But it's called "Crime in 2015: A Final Analysis" by a- Ames Grauert, and it's G R uh, A W E R T. Um, and James, uh, Ames Groward and James Cullen. So how would, how would people just focus in on that? How would they just go straight to this report? By going sure. To well, you, can go to, you can go to our website, which is brennancenter.org, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, center.org. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you can navigate from there pretty, qu- pretty quickly, but you could also just type in Crime in 2015, Brennan Center, in Google, and it will pop up real quick. How does... Um so uh, do you, do you do you so the, the the report is really an analysis of crime statistics and you make some speculations as to why but there's no uh there's nothing in the report that uh I mean it's not your province right to suggest what to be done about it is it well, we, we've done a little bit of work in that area. So there's, there's another side of our justice program that I work on as well that talks about uh, whether there are ways to decrease crime while also decreasing some of the inequalities in the criminal justice system, like overuse of incarceration. Uh, so we've, we've talked often about um, how incarceration has diminishing returns, especially at historically high levels that we see today. Uh, so a better way to prevent crime would be divert people who don't need to be in prison away from prison into, like, drug treatment, mental health treatment facilities, and put more money in policing and other programs like that that are proven crime reduction strategies. It's not a problem to this report, but it's definitely something we care about. And the way the police, uh, uh, you know, approach their job in different cities, right? I mean, uh, Absolutely, yes. Yeah. We uh, Actually, my colleague James Cullen just wrote a post for the Brennan Center blog a couple of weeks ago showing that, uh, despite lots of fears in New York City about this, that when stop and frisk ended, uh, crime did not go up. In fact, it remained at the same low level. Mm-hmm. So, all right, if so, where people are interested in this, and it is really um, interesting to see this, and once again, I say it's, uh, it's almost like counterintuitive when you read these actual statistics for crime, except for certain cities that stand out, that uh, overall uh, we're at historic lows uh, for crime in the country. Um, uh, there are there are probably other reasons for that too. I mean, there's a certain there's a certain uh, cultural um, I don't know what it is um, malaise, <laughs> you know, hmm. where uh, I think that people who would uh, ordinarily maybe who would be uh, who are angry, let's say, about uh, their lives not having a purpose, that they don't have a good job, they don't have much of a future. Uh, maybe they are because I was just talking about this sort of um, overabundance of uh, entertainment in the country earlier. Yes, I heard that segment. That was interesting. Well, I mean, it was just me ranting and raving. There was, <laughs> there was no. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just that's what I was doing. But there, uh, there is. Um, there's a book that was written about 20 years ago, and I forget the author's name, Neil Postman or something like that, and um, it was called "Amusing Ourselves to Death." But I was talking about the fact that. Uh, I see people plugged in to smartphones and people plugged into things in their headphones and staring at video games now. Um, and it seems to um, anesthetize people, I think, hmm. who ordinarily might be, now this is not has anything to do with your report, but ordinarily, I'm just conversing here, would uh, be hmm. who are angry and might take it out in another way. But now they're taking this um, kind of visual audio narcotic all the time. <laughs> 
instead of going to the street corner and buying a gun, you uh, load up Call of Duty. <laughs> well, yeah. So I guess everything is bad and good. I don't know. So um, hmm. in any case, uh, we've been talking with Ames Grauert, and um, he is one of the authors uh, of the uh, report here. And uh, you can check this report out online. And um, it's uh, something that needs to be done, I think, that people need to see for a, like a sort of a, a reality check because all, you, all the media will show you all the time is the latest brutal murder or the latest horrible slang or whatever it is. And um, so this is, this is something that you'll see here that provides a, a sort of a bottom line of reality. Okay, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Yeah, as, uh, as Billy Joel might say, we still haven't seen the lights go out on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Uh, okay. And the Brennan Center in general, if you're interested in any kind of, I mean, and they'll cover any subject, what's the, anything, anything at all. They'll cover, um, you know, Supreme Court cases, uh, you know, voter fraud. There isn't anything that has to do with the justice system or justice itself in America that they don't cover and cover very well and accurately. And they have some very fascinating reports and uh, podcasts and live, uh, live, you know, uh, broadcasts. So this is the Brennan Center, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, um, uh, for justice at NYU. And as far as uh, the technology goes, uh, like I said before, all of this stuff that you're hearing, including my voice from the very beginning, I've been on the radio for 35 years, impossible without increases in technology. I'm just was trying to think the other day, uh, what do I got, like two minutes left or something? Two minutes. Um, I was trying to think the other day, it, things are going faster all the time. In other words, there's more new things all the time. I just got used to Windows 7 after, they did, after Windows you know, shot my uh, Windows XP in the head and killed it. <laughs> and now they're telling me buy Windows 10. It's like planned obsolescence, right? Um, once upon a time, there were new things in the world, but clearly, I mean, there was, you know, the car was new. I don't know what. The computer itself was new. Uh, cell phones were new. But now there seems to be something new, a new app, a new improvement, a new gadget. Every day there's something new or a new software or a new something. I think the amount of things that are new are easier to digest and to assimilate if you're younger. I think that's just the way things are. Your brain is more agile. You're used to the newness of things. You're used to things moving fast. And uh, if you're older, you're just not used to it, and you're not physically or mentally adept at it as if you're young. It's like a language that, are, that people uh, learn when they're young. But, there, but generation by generation, if you look back in history, there were fewer new things all the time than there are now. Now there's something new so often that it does seem overwhelming to me. However, if you're used to everything being new, it's not a problem. That's the language you speak. Okay, uh, that and other observations to come next week, and uh, I'll see you then.
The fire and the fury at his command. Well, you don't have to worry if you hold on to Jesus' hand. We'll all be safe from Satan when the thunder rolls. You gotta keep the devil. Down in the 